weeknights from 6 on 2FM. Thanks to the two Johnnies, it's Monday the 13th of February and this is Game On. Coming up today, Ireland 32, France 19. And it's out now towards Bundy. Bundy bounces off uh, Kyle Fico and France have driven Ireland back towards the 22 but it's One, back here now. Two. But the ball has moved out far side of the pitch here now. As Gary Ringrose hands off and goes on Gary Ringrose for the try for Ireland. 72 minutes gone. Absolutely sublime. The French hearts have been broken. The French players are on their knees. Gary Ringrose has scored a fourth try for Ireland. The place has absolutely erupted. That was brilliant for Michael Corker, and we'll have more on that with Stephen Ferry shortly. In soccer, Stephen Kelly and Paul Corey talk Premier League as Jurgen Klopp backs his players ahead of the Merseyside Derby. I'm, I'm 100% clear that nobody's here because my friend or whatever, nobody. It will never happen, was never the case and will never be the case. They are here because they are best in class in what they are doing. That's all. But again, if you praise them in the good times, then criticize them in the bad times. If you don't praise them in the good times, then don't do it in the less than good times. Don't do that. Have the balls and go for me. I get an awful lot of money to, to, to face these situations. Now in hurling, Niall Moran on old rivalries with the new faces in the Allianz League. And after last night's Super Bowl, we're live to Arizona as Patrick Mahomes and Kansas City Chiefs find another way to win. What happened in that locker room? What was said? I mean, it was just everybody. It didn't come from one person. Everybody said we had to step our game up. Our defense played their ass off in that second half. Um, in our offense, we, we found a way. I, I told y'all before the season, we got we got Coach Andy Reid. We got guys like Travis Kelsey, Chris Jones, Frank Clark. We're going to be the Kansas City Chiefs. At the end of the day, we're going to be the Kansas City Chiefs, and we're going we're gonna to celebrate this right here, baby. We're going to celebrate this the, the right way. Now, if you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or tweet at GameOn2FM. Paul Curry is with me in studio. Paul, did you get up or stay up to watch the Super Bowl? No, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, it's, it's too late for me. I'd be absolutely knackered going into work today. But apart from that, I mean, what a weekend of sport we had. And it continues tonight, Liverpool Everson. I know. I, I'll just I'll just follow on on the uh, Super Bowl and people having to get up for work. It's really handy for the teachers on midterm. Like any teacher that wanted to stay up last night didn't have to worry about school. Are you, suggesting, that I know. are you suggesting the Department of Education plan the <laughs> yeah, midterm? Well, I was actually be- thinking of that yesterday, all right. Uh, when I was going to bed because I was tired, that uh, it was a great time to be a teacher. Um, what I loved about it, um, Paul... I only watched it this morning and a lot of it was kind of the post-match stuff. I love the pageantry and the glamour and the personality and the fact that they actually go crazy celebrating. And, mm. and sometimes you don't get that with sport. And I find like when teams win All-Irelands or FA Cups, you know, even World Cups, it can be very kind of sedate. Whereas the Super Bowl is not sedate. Like they're they're going crazy. They're, you know, they're settling scores and microphones afterwards. They're giving these brilliant interviews. Um they just really seem to understand what they've done, which is obviously something brilliant. Yeah, and there's there's a huge lead up, isn't there, into the Super Bowl? Like they've fought two weeks mm-hmm. of media yeah. in the lead up to the game. So there's obviously a huge amount of hype and a huge amount of press and eyes on the game. And obviously it's the pinnacle within the sport. But you're right. Anything they seem to do from a sporting perspective anyway across in the States, they seem to do it really well and they seem to celebrate. And there seems to be such an event and celebration around big games like this or the NBA finals mm-hmm. or whatever that might be. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they it's always things. They do. They yeah. absolutely do, and fans do as well. It's probably it's a different type of atmosphere. I always find to to football. I mean, I would have said that 
say English football fans it's it's real life or death stuff I'm mm-hmm. not sure it has that same sort of feeling with, with the Super Bowl but they seem to really kind of immerse themselves in those yeah well some of the Philadelphia fans did treat it like life and death yeah. they went a bit uh, crazy afterwards but like even when you look at when LeBron James broke the all time scoring points record in basketball I think it was only last week there was a lot of criticism because the game kind of stopped to allow him to celebrate and people thought it maybe um, brought the integrity of the game into question. But like in the same week that he did that, I um, interviewed David Tuberty and he had at one stage, he is the all time leading scorer in the Allianz Football League of all time and he didn't even know he broke the record when he did it so somebody told him afterwards <laughs> so like you have these extremes like I know it's like the NBA and it's like the Allianz Football League but it's still like the biggest league here like so many people play it and to be the all time point scorer the all time scorer in that league is such a big deal and it's like obviously he'd had this amazing consistent career where he was delivering week after week to be able to do that and he's from a county of Clare so it's not like you know he's mm-hmm. in Kerry and um you know, they're racking up big big wins all the time or, or Dublin or whatever it is. But to see the difference now, like... There's probably a balance, isn't there? Yeah, exactly, because like yeah. the NBA, a lot of people say they went over the top. Yeah. But at the same time, you don't want to see records like that fly under the radar. Yeah. Like, I just like to see people celebrate the wins a little bit more and um, maybe not to the extremes that sometimes we, we do see them celebrate. But just to to even see the interviews afterwards um, to see Mahomes go like to the microphone and the cameras and to give like such real interviews and to you could actually see the emotion it just even like messy after the World Cup everything mm. has died down before you actually get to to hear from from the the key people in the in the game whereas in the Super Bowl they're, they're straight up afterwards microphones in face the emotions there and obviously they, they've won so it's, it's great and um, I can imagine that the, the losers would be really devastated and you might get good interviews there as well but still it'd be nice to see a little bit more in the sports that we have here I think Yeah absolutely I mean Patrick Mahomes is is a serious athlete isn't mm-hmm. he and, Unbelievable you know, Isn't that two rings now he has Yeah and, and he was only narrowly going. missed out yeah. yeah I mean there'll be I'm and sure seems people... like a good guy as well like, you know. he interviews very well yeah, doesn't he, he? Does, he yeah. does yeah I noticed that um, okay let's move on to uh, rugby Stephen Ferris is with us on the line Stephen I'm not sure if you got to hear any of our conversation there but we're talking about um, the celebrations after the Super Bowl and I really enjoyed getting to see the emotion and the interviews straight afterwards and to see the players really celebrate what they've achieved and sometimes in sport I don't think you get that and you know I guess we could kind of related to the Ireland rugby team you know they're doing really well they've beaten uh, France they look on track to have a really good Six Nations are heading into World Cup year and all everybody's saying is damper expectations don't celebrate it uh, please not let get let please don't get carried away could we get a bit of bit of better balance do you think um no I don't think so I, th- I think the fans they can get carried away all they want but uh, like Ireland are in the middle of a, a Six Nations competition that's something that I really admired about the side at the weekend was yes they you know they did a lap of honor clapped the fans thank mm-hmm. you so much for coming along and supporting us and you know getting behind us as a nation and that was that was brilliant to see but there was no running around with flags above their heads and um i learned firsthand after beating edinburgh in a heineken cup semi-final and you know we we walked around as if we had won the the world cup and you know obviously got absolutely torn apart in the final and you know, there was a few lessons learned that day so there's a lot of experience in that mm-hmm. squad people that have played in finals and won cups um and 
you know, it's only the middle of the Six Nations. It's a great victory, and, and I'm sure they celebrated that behind closed doors in Carton House or in the Shelburne Hotel or, um, you know, in a pub um, where they could, you know, sit and enjoy each other's company. But with with the, with the extra week off, but you know, I, I think it's it's pretty much work mode, and um, rightly so. Okay, well, I'll just be one of the people that'll get carried away away from <laughs> the, the camp. Yeah, <laughs> because they were great. And like, it was a huge test and we spoke so much about it in the build-up that we were going to get a lot of questions answered afterwards. But they delivered um, on what they set out to do, which was to, to beat France, but to also put in a performance maybe that we weren't um, used to seeing. One that they have been they have been uh, delivering under Andy Farrell, but it's just that the different dimensions that we're seeing to their play now as well. They're not predictable. Uh, they're entertaining. They're dogged. They're determined. Even when they look like they could be under a little pressure, they find a way to get those those scores that they might not have done a few years back. No, I, I totally agree with you. Um, I, I think watching the Ireland team at the minute um, is completely different. And it was only a couple of years ago we were talking about, um, you know, that stopgap tournament that there was um, during COVID. There was like an Autumn Nation series that, you know, at had been thrown into the mix and, and Ireland were still finding their feet and um, they just couldn't get anything going. Their attack looked rudderless and, you know, everybody was starting to ask questions of my cat and mm-hmm. uh, and everything else. And, you know, all, all of the message that we got or everybody got was just, you know, bear with us. You know, this is a work in progress and, um, you know, it's all come true. It's It's been absolutely brilliant. I think they're evolving game by game. Um, the players seem to have a little bit more of a license to, you know, throw a, a bit more of a speculative offload. That just just to go out and back yourself, um, and I think that's the the freedom that Andy Farrell has given his players. If you think it's on, give it. If you don't, then just hold on to it. And I think in previous years, uh, I mentioned it actually at the weekend with with, with our, the RTE coverage was like under Joe Smith. It felt like all the lads were actually, you know, just had to be so rigid and stick to a game plan, mm-hmm. and you know. Don't throw a 50-50 and it, it doesn't come across as enjoyable when you're like that, where the boys just look like they're playing with such a, a big smile on their face and with freedom in it. Um, and that's rippling down into us as fans. And, and that's why the you know the hype train is, is, is starting to go forward even more. <laughs> and that's, it's brilliant to see. Yeah, it, it is. And, and you know as well, like we did, we have spoken about this so much over the last number of years, Stephen. It's that sometimes you need to be able to let go of the system just grab the game by the scruff of the neck and do what it takes to win it. And we're actually seeing that now. We know that they have that, that they're capable of saying, whatever's in front of us, we can find a way to, to beat them and to win. Yeah, and, and the thing I liked at the weekend was, you know, they didn't have it all their own way in mm-hmm. the opening 10 or 15 minutes. Um, Ramos was knocking over penalties, keeping the scoreboard ticking over for them. Um, just they were sort of looking to, I don't know, they were looking for a, a huge spark that would, you know, get them into the game and uh, and keep the momentum in the game for them. But it was Ireland who, who every time, you know, France knocked over a three points or you know that breakaway try, which was just unbelievable by Damien Pino. It was Ireland then that retaliated and 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 got stuck back into them. And the first half of rugby was just sublime. It really was. It, just watching the guys running around, it was out of breath myself. So it was just. Um, unbelievable and then Ireland kicked on and something that's been very evident in Ireland's uh, games over the last season and a half is that they score you know the majority of the points in the first half and they sort of just 
see it off in the second but it was the opposite they you know they kept kept the foot down against a really good side their bench come on made a big impact and that's an area that many people including myself thought might have been a slight weakness um but that just shows the the quality of coaching that the guys are getting that they can come on and and still sing off the same hymn sheet as the other lads on the pitch so you know it's it's really encouraging and and we, I know we all talk, me and you as well, we talk about not getting ahead of ourselves, but, but why not? Why not get exactly. ahead of ourselves here Let's... And, and get behind the guys? Because we're the number one team in the world. We've just beaten the second best team in the world convincingly. And, you know, the, the, we're due to welcome back, a, you know, three or four quality players into the side as well, hopefully before the end of the Six Nations. I know Tagburn's going to be a big loss for mm. us. So we'll see how long he's going to be out for. But, you know, it's really, really positive. Because like we we're such big sports fans, and if you if Ireland ever do qualify for a, like a major soccer tournament, we'd be hoping they might get out of a group. And like even <laughs> the women are heading to the World Cup in Australia, New Zealand later on this year. And again, it's like oh, I hope they come out of their group, and who knows what will happen. But to actually have a team that are heading to a World Cup and are like genuinely in contention. I think that we should be getting behind that, pushing it forward, being on board with it and just being able to to enjoy it as a little bit of a journey because as a small country, we don't often have the opportunities to be on a big stage supporting a team that has a, a good chance of winning something, Stephen. Yeah, we need to savour these moments. We really do. And anybody who's listening here tonight, I, I was in <laughs> the World Cup in 2007 and I never got an opportunity to play, but just the scale of the competition over there, the fans, the atmosphere, everything in 2007 was off the charts so I can, I can just imagine how mental it's going to yeah. be in September in 2023 it's, it's a short travel across the water um, go and support the lads you will enjoy every single minute of it and if you're fortunate enough to get a ticket you know even better but just to experience a, a World Cup a rugby World Cup it's like nothing else um, and it's you know it's very different I've been to major football competitions as well that you know fan, rugby fans come together you know, they can sit and have a pint with somebody else from a different country and, and chat about the history of the game and, and, you know, both teams where they are and where they have been. And I know I just, I'm so looking forward to it. I know I'm getting ahead of myself. There's still three <laughs> games left in the Six Nations, but uh, it's still good to chat about, isn't it? Oh, it really is. Because it's just lovely to have something to look forward to. That's the thing. And, um, you know, life can be tough. So having those things on the horizons that, you know, are going to be on the horizon that are going to be entertaining, um, it's, it's just brilliant to be able to enjoy it as much as we can. Um, I think as well, Stephen, one thing that's really pleased people that have been studying this team for quite some time is that when players are getting injured now or going off, that the bench that you mentioned, but even the players beyond the bench, they're they're pushing all the time that there's quality there um, in the depth of player that want to get on that plane that are, to go to a World Cup. Yeah, there certainly is. And like even Finley Bealham, I know he's starting mm-hmm. to get a bit more credit, um, but like, you know, that pass back inside, it was a flat pass. It had to be right on the money. The timing of it, there was players all over the place. You know, Wayne Barnes was getting in the way of, uh, well, not purposely, getting in the way of a few players. His eye line could have easily been impaired, but he throws it. What, what an unbelievable pass. And, like, if Tag Furlong had thrown that pass, it would have been replayed millions of times across social media. And, yeah. you know, I, I just think that, players like Finley are, are, are learning off the likes of Tag Furlong to, to just come out of your shell, be yourself, be the player that you are when you um, you take the field every week for Conant. And that's something that's also talked about a huge deal from Andy Farrell is just go out and be yourself. You know, mm-hmm. Be yourself, be, you know, express the, the player that you are, the person that you are. 
um, and it's coming through immensely in, in, in the team's performances. And yeah, the, the bench obviously that I, I referenced there, even Tom O'Toole, come on, I know there wasn't, uh, there were, I don't think there was any scrums in the final 15 or 20 minutes, but you know he made a couple of really good line breaks, has hardly played any rugby this season. The other guys, Jack Conan, who's found himself on the bench a lot uh, since the magic of of the last Lions tour, but he's dealing with it well. He's um, you know he's still contributing massively to the squad. Uh, the hooker position, Dan Shane was injured down during the week. Rob Herring comes in. He has to go off in the first what 15 minutes of the match, and Ronan Keller comes on, who has hardly played any rugby and plays brilliant. So. Like that's the the depth that you need, and and let's face it, the reality is you need three really good quality players in each position, um, because there's going to be bumps and bruises, there's going to be injuries, mm-hmm. um, there's going to be disappointment during a a rugby World Cup, and uh, you know, thankfully to date, the the coaching staff and the players have been able to deal with it. The um... I spent a lot of the weekend just sitting down watching all the, the different sports, whether it was the hurling, the rugby, um, some of the Super Bowl, uh, Manchester City yesterday. And the highlight for me is seeing somebody like James Lowe just light up the rugby pitch with that try. You know, it's the thing that gets you off the seat. And often we'll come in on a Monday and the rugby might not have been that exciting or it might not have been compelling enough to watch the whole whatever long it lasts for these days. But Moments like that are just what makes you want to to keep tuning in week after week, Stephen. Yeah, it is. It is. It, uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, unfortunately, I don't agree with you watching Manchester City. If you had <laughs> said Manchester United, I would, I would have let you off Never. the hook. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, when you watch the the big teams and um, the Uniteds and the Cities and you know the teams that have dominated for for decades, and you know Ireland haven't dominated for decades. They've only started dominating the last. You know, couple of years, um, they now have a huge target on their back. Uh, like you know, the teams that you talked about, um, whether it be in football or you know, even I, I watch a lot of darts, and like mm-hmm. everybody wants to get the scalp of Michael Van Gerwen, you know, <laughs> just because he's been the best, the best yeah. darts player in the world for the last few years. And now, now it's exactly the same with Ireland. You know, any team that plays Ireland, even Italy now in a couple of weeks' time, they'll be going, hold on, you know, if we this would be the biggest mm-hmm. win in the history of Italian rugby if we can get a result. So um, it's, it just makes for even better viewing over the next couple of weeks and then obviously rolling on towards the World Cup. But um, there's been magic moments so far in the Six Nations. James Lowe gave us another one, as you alluded to there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, was his foot in touch? I'm, I'm not too <laughs> sure, but uh, it was good that the Irish cameraman didn't get that behind yeah, behind the, the the post camera angle, that is not right. Absolutely, uh, yeah, it's, it's great even just ge- generating the debate about it as well. But you're lucky he'll take it, and it was such brilliant athleticism to <laughs> to see him dive at the the right time. Uh, we're getting loads of texts in, uh, Stephen. I'd say people are 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 thinking, will they ever just calm down a little bit? Um, tell Stephen France will be better on home soil. Indeed, they will. We know that. Yeah, we know that they'll definitely be better on home soil. Um, it's just the fitness levels of Ireland. Uh, I said it again uh, at the weekend, uh, live on air. It just felt that, you know, if the game had went on for another 80 minutes, that Ireland would have pulled away even more. Um, that's just the, the the feeling I got on the pitch. Now, when you have seven or 80,000 home supporters in a World Cup quarter final or hopefully final, whatever way the draw will work out, um, you know, they definitely give you an extra five or ten percent, and the and the crowd were absolutely buzzing at the weekend at the Aviva. It's the first time I've seen fifteen or twenty minutes before. Um, you know, the lads come out for the national anthems that every bum was on seats. Um, and you know, I think that's been a bugbear uh, of Irish rugby for the last well, I think more or less, Marie, since the uh, 
you know, the Aviva Stadium opened um, was that people were just kind of casually coming in and not getting behind the, the team from the first whistle. But I tell you what, it was absolutely hopping from the first whistle. So I'm sure the French will be saying, we cannot wait to welcome you to Paris in um, a number of months' time because I'm sure the reception of the delegates is going to be unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. What about Scotland, though? Because uh, they've been doing all right and, you know, we're probably, we are getting a bit carried away here. Will they be getting carried away in Scotland as well? Do you think back-to-back wins? Oh, sure. They get, they get carried <laughs> away every year. Like, <laughs> um, However, they, they, they have seemed to... Um, fine-tuned a, a few areas of their game. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think you know it's um, they're, they're a side now that play a bit more field position. Um, they kick the ball an awful lot, even though they've scored a, um, a cracking number of tries so far in the competition. Um, end-to-end tries as well. Duan van der Merwe has been, you know, yeah. been brilliant. Um, but they do kick the ball a lot, and you know they are a bit smarter with, with their ball. Um, they've changed the props as well. You know, there's a couple of British and Irish lands that aren't even involved in the squad. The match day 23, will they come back in towards the end of the championship? I'm, I'm not too sure. So they they do they have mixed it up a little bit. And, you know, I know they've got a couple of tough fixtures ahead of them, especially with Ireland going to Murrayfield. But you would think that they're, they're on a better track than they have been over the last few seasons. We all know that they get off to a fast start, but it's, you know, could they back that English performance up with another really good performance? And I think in many people's eyes, it was probably better. Um, yeah. You know, wheels hung in there for the first half, but you know they truly dominated them in the second half, and um, you know they'll be absolutely buzzing going forward into the next part of the competition. Uh, just finally, then on uh, England, they did get that first win um, in Borth- the Borthwick era. Um, much needed win. Were they impressive though? Um, I think the the pause, you know, says yeah. it all. I, I don't think they were that impressive. Um, uh, you know, reading quotes during the week, you know, this is the start. You know, this is the new, new, new beginning of the new era, and and I, I just think that, um, you know, if if Italy had a pit stop and played Ireland. And the way they did and the opportunities that they presented England I think Ireland would have put you know 40 or 50 points on them um, and I think Italy I think it was 20 minutes to go they sort of clawed it back I think it was like 25 14 something like that and there was a couple of line breaks Capuzzo made a couple a good line break Sebastian Negri made a good line break um, and if they had it just had a bit more quality to finish them off you know the game could have got edgy um, in, in the last 10 or 15 minutes but Give give England credit. They've been down, crying out for a win. Um, they finally got one, and you know let's see how they they bolster up for the rest of the competition. But um, you know they'll think that they've got rid of a lot of demons just by you know getting that Italy win. Yep. Uh, Stephen, thank you so much for joining us. We will check in with you again uh, next week. We're going to take a very quick break now, but do stay with us. We have hurling, um, Super Bowl, and Premier League to come. Game on on Two FM. Welcome back. We are going to turn our attention to the Premier League. Paul Corey is with me in studio and Stephen Kelly joins us on the line as well. Guys, you're very, very welcome. It's been a big weekend in the Premier League and it's not done yet, Stephen Kelly. Massive one to come tonight. Well, it feels like it is anyway because uh, both sets of fans will think going into this game that they can win and so will both managers as well. It feels it's probably bad timing though for Liverpool just because they're not really back on track yet and you have an Everton team um, coming into form, something to to fight for and of course Sean Dyche there as well. 
Yeah, I think um, it's probably the first time in a while that Liverpool fans would kind of be a little bit fearful of everything coming downfield. Um, you, you just think what Dyche has gone in there and done, he's just going to make them solid. He's going to make them horrible to play against Liverpool. I'm not going to get a minute. Um, <clears throat> I'm a Liverpool not being in fine form, not not the lacking cohesion, the lacking direction. They're just lacking, lacking that spark that they've had for a long time. It's the first time you'd feel that Anfield is not going to be a fortress for this game. And I'm certain most Liverpool fans I speak to are like, oh, I'm worried about this one. Mm-hmm. Um, especially that win against Arsenal as well. That's just going to give them such a huge boost. Like These are bo- these are bonus points for Everton um, in that fight for relegation. You want to beat the teams in around you. If you can go and beat the teams in the top four, top six, it's massive. And then to throw this one in the mix as well at, at this moment, it's huge. Yeah, Paul, it's the exact kind of victory that Sean Dyche would want. Bring them out of the relegation zone, beat the neighbours, get the bragging rights, make life even more difficult for Liverpool than it is. And it's one of those moments that, okay, Arsenal was huge, but this could really turn their season around. Yeah, it absolutely could. And, you know, getting out of the bottom three would be mm-hmm. vital for Everson just to, to kind of build a bit of confidence behind the team, but also get that belief amongst the amongst the supporters as well. I think Everton would be okay. I think you can see what Sean Dyche has brought to them. I think when we spoke, Marie, we were talking about who would go in and take that job. Mm-hmm. He seemed like the right fit just to, to give them that foundation to build off of. And he, he seemed to turn it around in such a short space of time before the Arsenal game. And don't be surprised again, like Stephen said there, that they'll be horrible to play against. For Liverpool, it might paper over some of the cracks if they were to pick up three points. But on the basis of the last two performances, it's it's hard to see um, Liverpool being back to their fluid best. Yeah, you can't actually see them playing out a game where they don't concede. or And even then, like at the other side of the pitch, you're wondering, uh, Stephen, where the goals are even going to come from, just given the, the form that Mo Salah or the lack of form of Mo Salah. It is. It's it's just that they're on every front they're not they're not performing. And that, that's an issue. <clears throat> Defensively, Liverpool are based around having such strong, solid defensive units, hard to break down, best defensive record. That's gone. Attacking wise, they always had a front three that could tear you apart and, and you know, but what's what the main thing for that was the injury in the middle of the park that kept them ticking over and just forward them and that's been so lacking in you know, we spoke about loads on here. Every time you, you see anything about Liverpool, it's about the lack of, of bringing players in the middle of the park and, it, and it's coming back to haunt them. And, you know, that's affecting everything else around the team. And then the confidence has dropped and they're just nowhere near the level that they were at before. So you feel like you can actually get a result against them. They're not going in with this kind of sense of invincibility. They look like they could be got at. Yeah, they really do. Um, Arsenal kind of look like they can be got out as well, I have to say, mm. Paul, just given their last few results and like to get that draw at the weekend. I I, I know they've had bad outings um, in the past against Brentford, but it was disappointing for them. Yeah, they've they've probably come off it a gear or two in, in recent weeks, um, particularly the Everton game and then again against Brentford on the weekend. Brentford were very good, to be fair to them, in Bueno and Tony caused the Arsenal back for a number of different problems and they've done that against uh, a lot of opposition this this year, but to be fair to Arsenal, they were absolutely robbed. Uh-huh. I mean, there was, yeah. there was two instances where that yeah. could have been given um, as offside. They forgot to draw the line on Norgard for the for the Tony goal, and even um, you make the, your the own block, luck, you know, the block, the block mm. before um, where where they've actually won the header. That's I can't remember who it was, but uh, has blocked Gabriel from actually getting across to the ball. There was two separate instances mm. where VAR should have absolutely blown that up. And for Arsenal, it might have been one of those where you don't play well 
you get the three mm-hmm. points you move on to next mm. week as opposed to that what's happened is they've dropped two points Man City have won and the gap is now narrowed and the game against Man City this week is going to be huge like absolutely huge yeah. and you can just see yeah. that they've come off it a little bit in recent weeks and maybe the game against Man City is coming at the right time but if they were to drop more points um, and if Man City were to win that game you would start to maybe see a couple of shakes in that Arsenal camp. Stephen, actually, that's not a bad way of looking at it. Maybe the Man City game is coming at the right time and then they can actually mm. cement what they're about. If they do beat them, it would give them the confidence that maybe they've been lacking the last few games. Um, that little bit of pressure might ease if they if they know they can go out and beat Man City. Mm. Yeah, it's... To be honest, this is... This is this is the this is the game that's going to you know make you really feel whether they can go on and win the league, isn't that this against City? And I, as much as they've got themselves in a great position, pole position at this point, and City dropping points left, right, and centre, not being their fluid self as well. But this is the game you're always going to test them on. Can can they be as good as they've been against City, who are the who are the current champions? Um, and th- this is this is going to be the big game. And I think City. De Bruyne back on the pitch for whatever reason he wasn't playing which was crazy I don't know but the way he picks those passes for Haaland um, if Haaland's injured which this talks that could be the case that's a huge huge let off for Arsenal <laughs> um, because you don't want him against you but I think it's all building up towards this fixture and then they have another one again and I think it's about four or five weeks to play each other again so this this is this would be an unbelievable scalp for, for Arsenal if they could get the results yeah, the, I guess, look, the flip side of everything is that looking at Manchester City against Aston Villa yesterday, they had three goals in the first half. Haaland mm. did go off injured. Uh, you would, didn't look, I mean, not that I'm anyway a medical doctor, but he didn't mm. look, he was rubbing his leg and he played played on and then he just didn't come back out. You would mm. think that he's probably okay, but, mm. you know, they, they often have a blip in a season for a couple of games, Paul, where they're not reaching the highs that we associate with their with their performances, but it is it a case now that they're back on, on even keel, do you think? Do you know what? It was almost like the financial fair play news sparked them into life. Yeah. It, yeah. it really was. And it also seeing like, Manchester United going ahead of them in the table for yeah, those you know, that too, as well. Yeah. That too. Yeah. And also Arsenal dropped points, so they knew it was a it was a prime opportunity to to close the gap. But there was certainly uh there was a spark in their play that I probably haven't seen in recent weeks. I thought the the Gundogan goal was was actually really interesting, Marie, because mm. it highlighted what they haven't been doing with Haaland in recent weeks which has actually just been a bit more direct and it wasn't Kevin De Bruyne's best ball but you can see the chaos that he caused between Chambers and mm. Martinez and then his, his ability then to pick Gundogan out and don't mm. be surprised if you see a bit more of that in, in the weeks to come because they've, they've such a threat when he plays as a number nine like he's got such speed yeah. he's such strength that he can stretch teams in behind and they haven't been doing that and they probably used him mm. a bit more on the weekend and there was a bit more energy in their play and, and like Stephen mentioned why De Bruyne wasn't playing maybe it was to take him out after the World Cup and just give him a breather but he brings such such quality to the to the Man City team and it actually just it's one of those things that makes no sense it, it doesn't yeah. even no. his energy that he, yeah. that he brings like he covers unless he had a fight with Pep and he's been punished other than yeah. that I can't see and there's yeah. a reason for it yeah. Oh, no. yeah, yeah. and it'll be, I think it's going to be a really interesting game against Arsenal I could, I mm. could see City really digging in and picking up three points I think a lot of that would maybe mm. depend on whether or not Diaz and Haaland are able to play but if they mm. go there with a full complement a little bit of nerves in that Arsenal team uh, the experience of Man City the quality that they have in that team don't be surprised if they pick up three points it's a great week of football isn't it class Champions yeah. League as well <laughs> and the weather's well. getting better life is great lads here we go yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's great for Manchester United fans as well okay it wasn't the best performance Stephen that they've ever seen but mm. still they're showing that kind of character where it's 80 minutes nil all they still um, they're still going and managed to score two mm. goals and, and get the win and get the three points and for those few hours move up against above Man City on the table and the fans 
must be delighted with everything in general, even though they're not getting the, the brilliant performances. But still, like to get the wins and the points and be where they are in the table, it's phenomenal. Oh, listen, we, we, we've been on the show for how many times literally slaughtering Manchester United because of how Ruby. bad they've been. <laughs> and Slag and Ruby, yeah. And it's been quite enjoyable, to be honest, for a long yeah. time. Um, but, you know, to gone from where they are to where they were to where they are currently now in a team that looks really confident, got a great structure about them. All the players that are on the periphery that you were saying were nowhere near good enough, seem to have upped their game, seem to be playing in a stand. I know City have dropped off, Spurs have dropped off, Chelsea have dropped off, Liverpool dropped off. So not only has their has their form come onto at a time where those other teams that you think they should be competing against have completely dropped away from it. So, you know, it's been a time where they're it's I don't want to say easier for them to claw their way back into the top four, but the teams that you would have thought were there and thereabouts are not there at the moment. So it's made easier for them. But they're still scoring goals. Rashford's in the form of his life. Every week he looks dangerous. He looks like he's going to score. Great header today. Shaw, you know, all over the park. They've got players that are recovering. And Ganaccio just looks like he's got so much about him. Like he, he's electric pace, so direct. And yeah, they're, they're a team that are on the up. And it's, it's for all those United fans, they must be delighted to see them back in and about it. I think on that one movie as well, if you look at the the players in the periphery that seem to be brought in and they come in and do a job, the players that he's brought on, he has to be back now in, in the next mm. transfer window because the players he's brought in have done quite well. But the one thing that they really lack with is the depth in their squad. Like mm. You look at some of the players, Harry Maguire was poor on the weekend, um, probably not going to be around for a long time. Yeah. Veghorst is leading the line. Mm. Like He needs mm. more quality in that 11. Yeah, he's going to keep building that. Um Chelsea. So uh, we saw today, or was it yesterday evening, uh, there was a few leaks that he's been backed by the board, Graham Potter that is, and that he's he's going to be judged in years, not number of games and all that sort of stuff. Um, but you're drawing one all with uh, West Ham. Performances aren't where they are. Do you think that it is going to be the case? Or look, when you look at all the money and you're still not seeing that fluidity, how long does this keep going for, Stephen? Yeah, no, absolutely not. <laughs> There's no way. It's it's it is crazy. It's like it's absolutely ludicrous. They've gone spent a fortune on players, but have they bought the right players? They've they've overspent on every player they've bought in. Don't get me wrong. I think Mudrick uh, he's not got off to the start he wants, but I've seen him on a few occasions and I think he he's a fantastic player. Genuinely he can go about what his left foot. Joe Felix scored, but again, uh, unsure it's a long deal at the end of the season, you know, and then it's just buying players of a similar ilk, a similar style, similar class to play in a team that don't actually get that ball to those players that often in the positions where you want to keep it. And they don't, if you're seeing you smother teams and you have so much possession and all those players can get loads of touches high and around the box and cause problems, then that's great. But Chelsea don't play that way. So at the moment, it's, it's such a strange scenario that they've spent a fortune in directions that you just don't understand where it's going. And is it Potter that's making these signings? I don't get the impression that it is him, which makes me feel that the club are happy to go and get rid of him and bring someone else in that, that fits their criteria. Yeah, we can't talk about Chelsea and West Ham though without talking about Suchek's handball. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 we can't. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> like, in general yeah, though, no. Paul, like Chelsea yeah. fan, do you want to see Graham Potter there for years rather than months? There was signs on the weekend and of course you want more than signs and you want three points. 
Um, but there were signs certainly in their play that it was starting to come together a bit and, and even mm. having the likes of Reese James back makes a massive mm. difference. I think if they could get Kante in there, it would certainly help as well. I think Badia Shield looks a good centre-half. Enzo Fernandez mm. certainly gives you something as well. But they're going ahead, Marie. They're on top of games and they're not killing teams. And that would worry me um, because they're, they're mm. letting teams back into games. At times, they're overplaying which led to the goal and uh, they're just not got that same sort of ruthlessness that the top teams have um, that's kind of you could say the same about Graham Potter as well he's, he's such a, a nice guy is he Is he got that like real killer instinct that the likes of a Klopp or Guardiola yeah. has I'm not too sure and those questions will maybe be answered in the coming months but there were certainly signs I think Chelsea will, will fall short of the top four for, for sure but I was just saying to Laura Lee outside I think they could have a cheeky little run in the Champions League. <laughs> she's shaking mm. her head there. She doesn't. She's not buying it. Joe, I hate making predictions as with <laughs> you as well, Marie. Because you always predictions when I'm around. <laughs> you hammer me on yeah, them. Yeah, I do. I record them. I have a little <laughs> notebook for everybody's wrong predictions. Uh, Stephen <laughs> Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. We'll be talking to you soon. Paul, stay with us because we will be going to Anfield to John Keith a little bit later. But we're going to take a very quick break now. Hurling to come. Game on on Two FM. Welcome back. It's time to turn our attention to hurling. I'm delighted to say that Niall Moran joins me now on the line. Niall, a good weekend for Limerick hurling. A very disappointing one for Clare, though. And in ways, a lot of questions that need to be answered. And pretty quickly, too, because Championship's not that far away. An underwhelming evening, to be honest, Marie. Um, ordinarily, we'd love to say that we have bragging rights and we put our neighbours back in the corner. But I suppose, look, Clare on the night were kind of didn't seem really interested, to be honest, Marie. If, if truth be known, I thought they came at very, very little, um, even in terms of they didn't give away anything tactically. Um, obviously, they're down a number of uh, important players. Look, they'll be disappointed with elements of their game. I suppose maybe the freedom of pack, which they afforded Limerick for large periods of it. But as I said to you, it's probably an underwhelming, um, underwhelming evening. Um, even as a spectator, we're out in the open stand. Um, like it was just, you could hear a pin drop outside there. We could hear every word, as we said, in the pitch. And I think from friends of mine in the, new, the cover stand, it was the very same. Um, it just really was an underwhelming evening very disappointing um, there for spectator but look that won't bother Limerick and John found a couple of new faces so look Limerick will be happy again they'll move on again So one of those new faces is uh, getting all the headlines and that's uh, Michal Houlihan uh, obviously a very famous dad but tell us a little bit about him I thought he was the same as that uh, Mike would have been nicknamed Iron Mike he would have been uh, Mike was definitely old school phenomenal midfield up in Limerick in the 90s um, Michal is probably a different kind of a story and to be fair to him he's not a guy who would have been raved about it underage probably played a little bit of 21s uh, he's really forged his name with, with the club and I suppose look from the bit I know of him he's a lovely fellow very personal guy smart guy Um but I suppose, really, I suppose the success story for me is seeing a guy like Mike Hull and Naked is that he's, he's made it off the back of his club form. And I suppose traditionally in, in Limerick, like if you, a guy's club performances would never ordinarily have kind of propelled him into the inter-county scene. So, so that's probably, the fact that he is making it at this age is probably testament to John Kiley in the sense that you are judged on, on your club performances and they do carry weight. And for all the guys striving to be on that panel, it's huge. And I didn't see it here with our own club, Cameron Barry, um, club man here, who again, like would have been part of the Limerick Twenties, but wouldn't have been raised about. Made his big debut with Donegal Dolly, came on and scored a goal again, probably in the back of the club performances. So I suppose that is really um, testament to probably culture that's been kind of driven by John within outside of just the team. Within the, the, the there is a chance there for guys to make it. Look, Michal did very very well, but again, look, there's bigger fish to, to fry there, and he just keep on performing, which no doubt he hopefully will. 
Yeah, it does seem like, even though he's that little bit older, he's got a, a lot of hurling ahead of him. Uh, Shane O'Brien, though, now, like, saw him coming on um, the last day in that full forward, and he just seems absolutely huge. And to hear a commentator say, oh, he's only after doing the leaving last year, he seems like the real deal, is he? Well, I won't put any tags on him as real deal. <laughs> look, he's, we, we would have had him at school there That's for a few thought, years, yeah. and uh, look, a very good guy to deal with. Um, like phenomenally strong for a lad in 18, 19 year, uh, years of age. He's coming pre made, but given that his father, Adrian, is uh, obviously coaching Claire yeah. and would have been a phenomenal uh, uh, S&C coach, uh, well known around these parts, so it doesn't surprise me that he's bringing that strength. But again, look, he has lots to learn, um, and these guys are learning every day, and even for a lot of those younger Limerick guys. The played for Kenny in the 20s final last year and there was a lot of learning harsh learning had to be taken on board that evening so like every day to go they're developing but I said look we're not going to get carried away but it, it is positive for the underage system here in Limerick that when we are down some of the more high profile guys but there are guys coming up to a very very high level and was this time last year it was probably the criticism that people had myself included that there's a gap between the guys who were the established guys and the less established guys um, that it was wide I think it's starting to narrow in which, which is positive for the group Yeah it, it really you get that sense that the lads that are outside that maybe expected starting 15 are really pushing them on, pushing everybody else on and that's what you want um, and I think like I spoke to Shane uh, McGrath about this on Friday we need to get to as Claire Hurland people we need to get to a point where we're beating Limerick and I thought maybe on Saturday night we might get a little bit closer and I, and I did ask Shane like is the gap closing and he had said it was but looking at that performance on Saturday night like it doesn't seem to be the case and I was thinking when watching it that maybe they're doing a really heavy training block a bit like Limerick last year I thought maybe they're kind of following that template but then seeing Brian Lowen and how frustrated and disappointed he was after the game it became pretty clear that that just isn't doesn't seem to be the case that they're, they're just there was a gulf between the two teams um, that's my take on it anyway no, but I'll move on because there's so many <laughs> other games uh, Tipperary and Kilkenny everyone was expecting an absolute cracker um, Tipperary don't often win in Nolan Park and um, still there was a lot of questions about Tipperary heading into this game but uh, they really took the game to, to Kilkenny and in ways the 121 that Kilkenny scored kind of flattered them we felt yeah, I, I don't know if it flattered him. I suppose maybe the, the margin of defeat, Kenny probably flattered him in that. It, it felt like definitely not more than a six-point defeat. Obviously, Tip looked at 224, 19 wides, like Aidan Tallis in the goal, obviously made some great great saves as well. But I suppose the huge positive for Tipperary was just the, that energy that they brought. Um, even looking at the demeanour of even Shamie Callan, for one, like it's probably first starting over, well over 12 months, he just seems so hungry. Um I can imagine if I was in that temporary dressing room, I'm, I'm sure they're, they're kind of, the narrative will be that, well, they've taken a lot of grief over what happened last year um, during the championship. Maybe the so the departure of Colin Bonner, they took a little hit for it. Um, so was Liam Cahill, maybe three, four years after when he maybe should have gotten the gig, he's now in the gig. And I could just get that sense that they have their teeth gritted, they're ready to really come fire and brimstone when it comes to the championship. And as their nearest neighbour, one of their nearest neighbours, I, I think we could... We'll definitely see it because mm-hmm. so the sense has been the last couple of years that Tip were kind of brittle and which that is unheard of for a Tipperary team and I think really they've gone back to their core values of that kind of that real tough Tip hurling 
And I suppose for anyone who grew up in the 90s, uh, like Tipperary were always goal hungry, as were Cork, and I suppose the shades of that coming in both of their performances. But just before we leave, Marie, just to touch on it, as a care person, I wouldn't be as despondent, as a limber person, I wouldn't be as despondent for care as what you're making out to be. And, and there was a lot of green shoots there as well, like we'd like to say, McCarthy. Yeah. And uh, again, I, I just wonder, there might have been frustration there in terms of how they performed on the night, but they were missing a hell of a lot of guys. So, like, Munster's really shaping up, and with mm. Tip coming. As you just said there, that, that is really kind of shaping up to be a hot, hot championship this year. Yeah, it's only the league, isn't that what they say? Um, Kilkenny, though. So before the game, uh, Derek Link was asked about the style of play that he was uh, trying to develop in Kilkenny. He made light of it, didn't go into too much detail, but you could tell in the early stages that they were trying to do something different and it didn't always come off, Niall. It didn't always come off, but they, they tried something. I suppose the criticism that was labelled last year in particular was that, do you know what I mean, they had tried the short game for periods of the league and when it kind of wasn't working, it was visible to all in front of you to see this. They, they, they didn't, the Kenny management probably didn't want it. They wanted to revert to old school. So, like, Derek is, is again, he, he's trying to find the, the fit for them. And, look, they tried things. They were very porous down the middle. So, defensively, I, I've never seen Kenny. Uh, as open at the back and I suppose given that during the noughties one of their kind of defining features was they, they protected the D at all costs like the D was wide open yesterday so I think that look that would be a frustrating thing but bear in mind any team that's trying a new style of play like you're road testing it every day you go into league matches and I even know in Nimmer's case for like in 17 there was multi- groans upon groans every time they were trying that game even right through the way in championship and it took the following year for it to work so look Derek is a smart guy he's been brave and uh, to be honest with you, I actually thought in the second half, I was a fan watching at home, I, I, t- I thought Kenny could actually go and steal the game, and that is what mm-hmm. Kenny do best. And look, when he brought on, like, so, do you know what I mean, the John Lanley come on, he was decent, David Blanchard had a fine game, kind of hope, he, like, they, they know what they have as well. So, like, he, again, I don't think he'd be too, too despondent, and it's probably tweaking the game for the post-TJ era is probably yeah. maybe what they're looking at. I did see him in the stand all right with the baby and it, it became very clear that he won't be around forever, I'd say. Uh, TJ, that is. Um, so what about a Cork team then, Niall? Scoring 4.24 against Galway, got 3.22. But as well as getting the high scoring, which we've often seen from Cork, they were able to back up that kind of consistent d- display of work rate around the pitch as well, I felt. Yeah, looking again, just looking at it there, um, they, they looked very, very hungry for work. Um, I suppose look, that's... I suppose you are the, the image of your manager. I suppose yeah. Pat Ryan would have been, that would have been his side as a hurler. Like he was very, very tough. He wasn't as flamboyant as maybe what some of the other car curlers were. And he seems to be putting together a team that, that have those traits. And look, again, it's early doors. I, I thought Galway, I know I don't know if you used the word unremarkable last night in commentary, but they kind of just seemed a little bit like that personnel-wise. I don't know do we have the strongest Galway team out in the pitch. But again, look, huge positive for Cork there was like even like Stephen Dawson maybe uh, as an inside forward maybe lacking the real out now pace but he was very very dangerous out in the wing and do you know what I mean so like they're finding a couple extra uh, Sean Toomey I, I've seen him with you the last couple of years as well I just think he's a really really impressive player and he kind of showed yesterday so again look I think obviously they're going to be the happiest team uh, thus far and uh, like as I remarked on last week winning the water for Crystal or the Munster League in the way the manner that they won it that is important it's money in the bank and again yesterday that's money in the bank like and for teams that are getting up the rungs of the ladder they're, they're making incremental gain week on week so again I just it, it comes back to us um, like Munster is just going to be a bear pit yeah. but one of the key things for Cork is they've, they seem to have found a full back in Downey and Kieran Joyce is getting better and that is why teams want to challenge that's essential
Yeah, and that's really what Cork needed, wasn't it? Kind of to build a spine. You mentioned the 90s there to kind of go back to, to mirror what it was like back then. Uh, just a word then, Niall, on uh, Wexford and Westmead. Westmead did stay with them uh, for quite long periods, but Wexford pulled away in the end, as you would expect. Yeah, and, and again, look, you're just watching it. I suppose no, no different to Waterford Niche following the, like, I think after 50 minutes, there was a drive on. I suppose that's where, when you have a couple of subs like that, um, John likes to ask Dan, but come on, you made a big impression. And no different to the rugby match on Saturday, Marie, like, as in, look, stronger teams are going to have stronger benches, bigger panels, bigger, better resources. Um, you know, so I suppose, look, that's, it, it's a tricky league for Westmead and Niche, but at the same time, that's where they want to be, like, so, look, they'll have their eyes on, it, on a couple of games there, trying to stay up as well, like. Okay, Niall Moran, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Talk to you soon. Cheers, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, welcome back. It is time to talk Super Bowl and I am delighted to say that Colm Cronin, co-host of the Irish NFL show, is with us on the line. Colm, you were there last night to see Kansas City Chiefs win the Super Bowl. How was it? Oh, it was absolutely amazing, Marie. <laughs> Incredible game. One of the best Super Bowls I think we have ever seen. Truly a game or two have and what a half-time performance from Rihanna. Oh, I absolutely loved it. I thought she was brilliant. But the, the football, so you're saying it's one of the best Super Bowls that you've ever seen. Why was it so good? You were there. You have the best uh, the best seats, the best position to tell us about this. Because it was such a ding-dong battle. And, like, you got the best from both teams. I thought both quarterbacks played exceptionally well. I think that was probably the best game of Jalen Hurts' mm-hmm. young career. And Patrick Mahomes did Patrick Mahomes things. You saw a great play from both sides. You saw a great trench play from the Eagles in terms of their offensive line, their defensive line. They were majestic in the first half. They did everything you need to do to shut the Chiefs down. And it really looked at halftime like the Eagles could go on to win this. But of <laughs> course, the Chiefs are the Chiefs. Yeah. And they they responded and they were absolutely amazing. That I mean, that second half performance by the Chiefs must rank up there amongst the best uh, second half performances we've seen in the Super Bowl. Yeah, and I think when it comes to sport, if you want to go see your Messi's play, you want to see your Henry Shefflins, you want to see your Erling Haaland's, but you want to see the Patrick Mahomes of this world as well. What's that like? He, he was unbelievable. He was absolutely, that second half was, I mean, you saw him go down, he injured the, we knew we were playing on an injured ankle, you saw the pain he was in, you saw he was hobbling, and he put in a performance for the ages. Um, he, he was just, his ability to find space, he wasn't sacked once uh, last night. This an Eagles defense that had 70 sacks in the regular season, and they couldn't put a glove on him. He, everything he, taught, he called it he led the team he saw the way his teammates mm-hmm. re- responded to him and you're dead right this was him this was the guy at the, at the top the pinnacle of his career this was a Michael Jordan-esque Tiger Woods um, you know people are, are now putting him in the pantheon with Joe Montana with Tom Brady with Peyton Manning yeah, he's just he's just class and he seems like such a great guy as well. Myself and Paul Carey were here talking at the top of the show. Seems like he's a, a great guy to interview as well. He just comes across so well. Okay, so tell us before we finish up, Colm, about the atmosphere. Like being at one of, if not the biggest sporting event in the world, getting one of those coveted tickets to go along, being part of it, seeing it. Where does it rank? Oh, it, it is an unbelievable experience, Marie. They, the, the Americans know how to do pomp and ceremony unlike anybody else. <laughs> I mean, from that anthem uh, to the flyover, the halftime for performance, um, it, it, it's just, it's unlike anything. I mean, look, don't, don't get me wrong, seeing uh, Cork lift the uh, Liam McCarthy <laughs> is an uh, all-timer all for me, yeah. but this is unlike anything you, you'll, you'll experience. 
And to see, uh, the way I describe American football, it's demolition derby meets chess. And that's exactly nice. what last night's game was. Oh, Colm, that's brilliant. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, it sounds like you absolutely had a ball and fair play. And we'll be definitely uh, checking out the podcast. Thanks so much. Uh, Paul Curry, unfortunately, we're not going to get to uh, John Keith in Anfield. We're pretty much out of time. But just a very quick word from you on uh, tonight's Liverpool-Everton game. I'll give you the Liverpool team news in a oh, go very for quickly. Alisson yeah. in goal, Arnold, Matip, Gomez, Robertson, Bakatic, Fabinho, Henderson, Gakpo, Salah, Nunes. So no Van Dijk. Oh, right. I thought there was... There was a suggestion he might be back, but he isn't. Um, okay, we will all get home to uh, catch that one. Paul Curry, thank you so much for coming in. Better De Silva's up next. Live across the nation. And on the RTE radio player, this is RTE 2FM.